Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Hello and welcome to the Ski Podcast, back after our summer break. Um, I think skiing and Christmas have one thing in common, and that is the build-up gets earlier every year. So I'm going to claim it, Ian. Despite it still actually being summer, it's time to get the winter underway. The ski season starts here with the return of the Ski Podcast. I, I like I'm way, Jim Duncan. I like the way you've built it up it's there, got... Jim. Thanks. Uh, I am Jim Duncan, and this, uh, the Ski Pod wouldn't be the Ski Pod without Ian Martin. Hi, Ian. Hi, how are you going? Uh do you think it's too soon for winter is coming? Hashtag winter is coming? No, because that's got to be one of the most overused hashtags out there. It's, it's you know, welcome all the year round. Although I have to point out that it's not still summer. It is technically autumn, I believe, now we're in September. Is it? Yeah. All right. Uh, I shall double check that. And I'm sure you're right. So um, coming up today's show, um, I'm going to report from Teens, where I did a bit of summer skiing. We have some uh, Brexit chats. We will be looking at the World Junior Champs. That has been happening over the summer. And we will be talking about our summer reading book, Ski the World. Um, of course, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at The Ski Podcast. You can email Jim or Ian at theskipodcast.co.uk. Is that right, Ian? Uh, yes, it is. Oh, good. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can. I've got a new um, channel all about skiing. It's called The Average Skier. <laughs> we like mountain wildlife on this podcast. We've talked about ski badgers, wobbly rabbits, whistling marmots, but we've yet to have any birds on the show. Um, I think Ian has spotted a feathered story. Yeah, I mean, I've just quite uh, uh, entertained me over the uh, over the summer and the middle of August. I was reading about a Mount Buller ski area. I mean, it's more just a nice bit of uh, a PR for them. But a frozen owl was rescued by lift staff from the top of the ski slopes at Mount Buller in Australia. Um, they they found him up there. God knows how he got there, but uh, apparently he was a, a little bit stiff and he's been warmed up and and released so uh, a nice bit of uh, PR for them and a nice way of pointing out that they've had a lot of snow in Australia uh, and across the, the southern hemisphere uh, this summer or winter depending on how you look at it. Did, did they warm him up by putting him next to a flaming galah? <laughs> uh, yeah possibly I don't think winter ends from a crossover quite like that but there's a great picture and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes on the uh, on the blog which is theskipodcast.com uh, a little later. Superb. Oh, Ian, do you know um, do you know what they call um, a wannabe snowboarding um, bird this in is, Australia? This is some convoluted joke, isn't it? Um, it's a it's a kookaburra. Yeah. No. No, that's koala <laughs> I've got. Right. <laughs> no. I can't believe I broke that down. Um, uh, other other wildlife news. I was out in the uh, Alps this summer looking around at various um, beautiful mountains and stuff, and I saw a pink grasshopper. Have you ever seen a pink grasshopper, Ian? Uh, that could be one of my LSD flashbacks. I, I'm not too sure about that. don't think I've uh, ever seen one. Are you saying that me and my kids were tripping? Possibly, but maybe that's the, you know what uh, nature, spending all that time in nature Shouldn't does have eaten those mushrooms. I told them to put them down. <laughs> <laughs> And this is the point, Ian, where you can ask me how my summer holiday trip was. Oh, yeah. How how we did speak in the green room uh, off air uh, a little while ago. I believe you basically travelled all over the Alps uh, during the summer, which makes me very jealous. Um, I've not spent much time there in the summer before, and it's a stunningly beautiful place. I was 
I really enjoyed it. I went skiing in Tien and I went uh, did some skiing in Chevinia up on the glacier, the Monte Rosa glacier between Zerma and Chevinia, which you know awful lot about me, I'm sure. I've skied there a few times, but normally in winter when it can be absolutely freezing yeah, well, cold. It was still pretty cold when we were up there to start with, and um, it wasn't just me. There was a huge amount of um, racing teams up there as well, training away. It seemed that's yeah. what glaciers seem to be for in the summer. Yeah, well, I assume you were, you know, hitting a few gates uh, yeah, as well. Not, um, not a nice way, just actually just running into them. Um, well, while we're chatting about it, here's my report from team. The village is nestled around a beautiful lake where you'll find a variety of self-catering and catered accommodation. Here you will find hundreds of indoor and outdoor activities, from the indoor lagoon pool to miles of mountain bike trails. There is something to do for all the family, from high adrenaline to quiet nature trails. This place has it all. Now, you might think I'm describing a centre park's holiday, and you wouldn't be far off. I'm actually talking about a summer trip to Team. A comparison to centre parks isn't that far off, apart from a few notable exceptions. First, there's the price. During the first week in August, which is when I was in Team, uh, if I wanted to stay at a lodge in centre parks for four people, it would start at around £1,100 for four nights. My small apartment in Team cost us 350 for five and I probably could have got a two-bed place that was on a par with a centre parks lodge for around about £200 more, but I'm a bit of a skinflint sometimes. The thing that makes me compare it to a centre parks is the activities. Like many of the forest locations, there are tennis courts, ping pong, roller skating, beach volleyball and loads more, as well as lake activities like kayaking, SUP and pedaling. In a centre parks, each of these activities could easily set you back at least £10 per person, if not more. In Teen, however, all this is free. And that is thanks to the My Teen card that you get with your accommodation. It also gives you free swimming and unlimited lift access for walking or mountain biking, which you don't really get a long leap. There are some restrictions, uh, so the activities don't last that long, and you are limited to two activities a day um, for most of the big activities. Well, you can do a few of the smaller ones as much as you like. But then again, who needs unlimited SUP when you're in the mountains? Downhill biking, mountain biking is one of the big draws in the summer, and you can hire all the kit from around 45 quid a day. Um, the other notable difference is that if you're there at the right time of the summer, you could also get some summer skiing in in the morning. A lift pass is about 20 euros a day and the glacier is open until the last week, or sorry, the first week in August. Here's what I made of the skiing. Well, podcasters, here I am on the top of the Grum Glacier in Team. It's, uh, as you know, quite high. Can't remember the facts, as usual on this podcast. Facts mean nothing. What I can see is, it's fairly sad, it's the last day of glacier skiing. Uh, it's quite brown, there's a lot of glacier colour sticking through the snow but you know it's a bonus day skiing it's a lot of t-bars I'm a bit out of breath but you know I'm having a nice time so what's the skiing like well it's quite slushy icy in places but it's quiet behind me as I look down on the slope so behind me I can see the board park which um, clearly needs a bit of work but it's the last day there's a lot of people up here training is clipping into my boot. Skis. And we'll do a run down together, if you're ready. Here we go. I won't really make you listen to that, listeners, me skiing down the piece. But in summary, um, at the very height of the mountain, at 3,400 metres, it was really nice. About 11 o'clock, the snow was crisp and firm. But as I went down and got closer and closer to the, the station, which is just above 3,000 metres... Um, it was really slushy and really incredibly hard work. Possibly made harder by the fact I've taken my wife's ski poles and not my own. And I probably had worn too many clothes. This is how I felt at the end of the run once I got down to the car. So I've just finished skiing. I'm back down at my car. It's quite nice feeling taking my ski boots off and slipping some flip-flops on. I'm enjoying that. And um, it was quite hard work. I did about three hours. 
and I'm really, really quite tired from it, but very enjoyable. And nice to get skiing in the summer for a change. I love, you know, we've been, I've been to Teen um, with my family in the summer a few times before. We stayed in the campsite down in, in Borg St. Maurice and then driven up to Teen and uh, love all of those activities. Um, did you do the blob? The blob? The blob. <laughs> did you not see that one? Where you jump off like a diving board onto a massive inflatable uh, kind of cushion in the lake and then bounce off that into oh, the no, water. that wasn't there anymore. Uh, Otherwise, I okay. would have done it. Oh, that's a shame. It, probably quite rightly, they decided it was a bit too dangerous. <laughs> that's a shame it's not there because my kids have been waiting to get old enough to be able to do it. You can what, still what do the um, thing where you lie on your tummy and go down a chute and it launches you into, yes. the, into the lake. You can still do that. Yeah, that's terrifying. Um, do that. I sadly didn't. Um, I ran out of time. I, I wanted that's to fine. do it, but I don't know why I didn't. Uh, oh, God. I did it. You know, we're in Natives, we used to have the summer oh, weekender yeah. and we, uh, we did a, an event over in Teen. And I did it there. And my God, it's just, I did it on skis and I did it uh, just going forwards and backwards, I think. And it's just terrifying. Oh, I see. I really wanted to do it. I, did, I should have done it. Um, and I didn't do any mountain biking, which, you know, originally I thought, oh, uh, sounded a bit of a rubbish idea but the more i spent my time on the lifts looking at people going down on their mountain bikes the more i really wanted to have a go at it sadly i was with the wrong group of people i had a lot of responsibility so i couldn't do it right yeah i i, I get that the mountain biking downhill mountain biking as long as you've got all that armor on i think it's uh, fine but you could uh you could seriously injure yourself uh, on some of those tracks. Yeah, well, renting a mountain bike was quite a hefty price. It's like 60 euros for the day. But obviously, you've got an awful lot of kit to put on. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Although, um, I have been to Les Desout, where I use an electric mountain bike. And that um, that was that was a great experience. It's like just having a little turbo booster, or literally a turbo booster, I guess, that you can turn on when you know you're going uphill and it just gets a little bit too much and that's a great way of being able to access you know the mountain that you wouldn't normally be able to do or if you if you're with someone else who's who's uh or maybe you're with someone else and you're not quite as good as them and you can turn it on to catch up with them yeah there was um lots of people cycling past my house yesterday actually um i think they were in something called the tour of britain um i think they oh, were yeah. on electric bikes they were going that fast yeah, technically they shouldn't. Is that, they, is that against the rules? Uh, yeah, although you can, you know, people have been caught actually hiding them in the frames. Uh, but that's that's a matter for a different podcast. Yeah. What what day do we do the British cycling? Um, I think that's Thursdays. It's even less informative because I know nothing about cycling. <laughs> <laughs> so so in a in a toss up of skiing between Chavinia and Teen, if you only had one afternoon, which one would you go in summer? Which one would you go uh, for? Chavinia, without a doubt. The skiing is a lot better there in the summer. Right, okay. But um, I'll tell you more about that in another podcast. <laughs> okay. Even while Ian and I have been away enjoying the delights of Europe over the summer, Brexit has still been dribbling on in the background. Um, I believe a report came out recently from um, the Seasonal Business in Travel Group, or SBIT to their members, um, about Europe and what will happen with our ski holidays. Ian, do you know what they're saying? They're saying that come the 31st of March 2019, that skiing in Europe will become so expensive for British people that we'll only be able to ski in Scotland. Is that true, Ian? Um, I think the key message here is panic, panic. No deal, um, you know, Project Fear, all that kind of stuff. Um, Shall I tell you what, before, I don't know. before I mean, we um, get into a rant about it, should we hear what <laughs> um, they actually had to say? Because I don't think they said what I said. Uh, here's Char Charlie Owen from uh, Ski Business uh, in Tourism, Seasonal Business in Tourism, um, and with a statement for us. Hello, this is Charles Owen from SBIT, the Seasonal Businesses and Travel Organisation. Over the summer, with the help of LHM, we surveyed British travel companies to better understand some of the impacts of Brexit. The survey suggested that current government plans for Brexit could see the price of European holidays rise by almost a third and put thousands of British jobs at risk. 
The survey indicated that these changes could mean holiday companies facing a 58% increase in costs, the same companies employing less British staff, and the closure or merger of smaller family-owned holiday businesses. For many companies, cost increases of this scale will just not be feasible, and they are not set up to be able to employ EU nationals. They will be forced to close or sell. This will put in jeopardy the 16.5 billion that this sector contributes to the UK economy, and 1 billion it delivers directly to the UK exchequer. And it's already starting to have an impact. After 14 years, I made the painful decision to close two of our venues, Jack's Bar and Evolution in Maribel, as our business model is no longer viable under any form of Brexit outlined by the government to date. There are an estimated 25,000 UK nationals working in the EU supporting the, the seasonal holiday industry, whose jobs are currently at risk. So SBIT is calling on the UK government to do three things. Firstly, give travel businesses much-needed operational certainty by continuing the freedom of movement of labour for seasonal workers in the holiday industry after March 2019. Secondly, retain the ability of workers posted abroad to remain in the social security systems of their home nation. Finally, follow ABTA's call for the protection of holidaymakers' rights to maintain visa-free travel in Europe for UK citizens and to protect our aviation industry. The release of the survey from ESPIT managed to make the news headlines on BBC Radio 4 Today programme, as well as other coverage in the independent and quite a bit of travel press. For more details, please go to our website, www.esbit.org.uk. Thank you. Huge size, I consider Brexit again and the ski industry, which we've been talking about for such a long time now. Uh, obviously, it's incredibly important, you know, what happens. And I, you know, I still remain vaguely optimistic there's an outside chance of a, a, a second referendum and, and maybe it won't happen. Even if it does happen, I still believe it's highly unlikely, you know, we're going to have this day in March of next year where suddenly people are not going to be able to uh, work in, in, in Europe, in the EU. And it's much more likely there'll be a, a two-year extension on freedom of movement. But in specifically in relation to this uh, this SBIT report, you know, I'm always dubious. You know, it says here outbound tourism contributes 16.5 billion to the economy, and there's one billion in tax revenue at risk. Now, I know we're talking about more than just the ski industry, but that tax revenue, you know, they're not getting any tax revenue on the current setup from. British people being employed in France who are seconded over there because they're paid so little that they don't go above the threshold to pay any tax. And most of them don't even go above the threshold to pay any national insurance. And so maybe that's about profits that uh, tour operators are, are making. Well, you know, one, one billion in tax revenue. I think if you, I don't know, the corporation tax rate is about 20%. Uh, so, it seems to me there's a lot of rounding uh, going on here that seems a bit unlikely. The fact is that there will be fewer opportunities. I said to my, I'd say to my kids, you know, if doing a ski season will become a lot more difficult once we leave the, uh, the EU. It'll still be possible. It just becomes more difficult. And there'll definitely be fewer people working out there, uh, fewer chalet holidays, and chalet holidays will be more expensive. All of these things are true. But, um, you know, if... You need to write a, a hyper, hyper, hyperbolic, a, a press release with lots of hyperbole uh, in it to get some attention, and you know, and that helps towards a, a second referendum and the, the people's vote and all of that. Then, then maybe that's what's required. But I think. Um, so what you're saying, Ian, personally, you think it's a load of guff, but publicly, you think <laughs> we should really talk about it because it could affect our ski holidays. Yeah, it will affect our ski holidays. I just think that the some of the numbers here are just uh, been been rounded a little bit. I did notice though that, that uh, you know it got a lot of coverage. You know they were on um, let's see they were on um, Radio Four, the Today program, and uh, you know they're they're going to be at their Labour conference or something like that in one of these. Uh, um, you know, side uh, discussions and uh, chukka, chukka amana, 
who's a definite um, Remainer uh, for the Labour Party, you know, tweeted it all. So they've had a lot of attention and therefore, <laughs> if that's what you need to do uh, and it helps, then then why not? Because, you know, there might only be a 5% chance that they, we're, uh, that Brexit isn't going to happen. But um, let's hope. And what percent hope. chance did you give that? Five. A 5% chance that Brexit won't happen? Yeah. yeah that's, not, that's not great odds. No, I've been spectacularly unsuccessful about predicting political outcomes uh, since Brexit, Trump, and the last uh, British uh, general election. Yeah, I'm the same with um, uh, the results of the Great British Bake Off. Always get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if it was a 31% rise as a result of Brexit in ski holidays, that's quite a lot of money, isn't it? That's an extra £300 per person on the average ski holiday. Yeah, I mean, some of these, you know, costs would would happen anyway, because, you know, what isn't really mentioned here is that, uh, you know, Britain isn't aligned with other countries in the EU in terms of how we pay our staff. And this is something that's been going on for years anyway. You know, France have been trying or, or making situation, trying to, trying to align it so that British staff who are working out in the Alps uh, are paid on an equivalent basis to French staff, for example, so that they pay. Well, didn't did the Swiss do that a few years ago? Exactly, exactly. And we and saw everyone, everyone had to leave mid-season and then go back in on a new contract. Yeah, or the costs of the costs have gone up. You know, essentially, it would be very easy if we if we were French, we'd be sitting here right now saying, "Well, it's completely unfair that British, you know, ski companies get to uh, compete on a, a different playing field from us." why should they be able to employ their staff at a lower cost than we employ our staff and so yeah there'll be jobs lost but some of these jobs would be lost anyway if we stayed in the eu and um you know the the, the legal route took its course um how about this for a theory in that the ski industry have only got itself to blame essentially because if you think about the two main media sponsors of the um, london ski show over the last few years it's been the telegraph mm. and the daily mail mm. who are massive brexit campaigners right so so therefore our customer base for within the ski industry could be assumed to be huge um brexiteers yeah so they should be happy about this temp this pay this increase happy about well no one's ever happy it's a, it's a nimby nimbyist uh, kind of effect isn't it well and, and if that's what makes people change their mind because if you had a second referendum you need people who voted one way the first time to vote a different way the second time so maybe those uh, uh if if uh, daily mail and telegraph readers are more inclined to vote leave they'll be more inclined to vote remain this time because they like ski yeah it's a, a part of me would be really sad if that's what swung <laughs> this big debate. Yeah. So I really just didn't want to pay £300 extra for my ski holiday, yeah. so I'm going to change my mind. Yeah. But I'd still be pleased about yeah. the result. There we go. Brexit resolved. Well done, Ian. Okay, easy. Right, so I'm in a cable car. I'm heading down the mountain into Shavinia with Dave, our good friend from Snowbro Ski School, and he's got a review for us this week. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? I've got a real live review from a real live person, one who's actually a client of mine. Uh, say hello to Lucy Edwards. Hi Lucy, thanks for listening. Uh, so Lucy's got three skiing mad kids, and I can testify to that, no more. Um, she says, hi to Jim from Lucy. She says, thanks for the podcast, it's good. Um, please say we are doing Valdezim again in Feb, so the stuff of the die lift upgrade was interesting. Well done, Ian. Um, and he also, she also says, tell him not to say too much on the show about the Le Fournay area, as that's the best skiing and my favourite restaurant in Britain. Well, I'm going to say right now that the Fournay in Valdezim is possibly the worst place to ski. <laughs> uh, what was that restaurant? Uh, oh, I don't know whether I can tell you. Say the restaurant. Le Signal. Yeah, one star on TripAdvisor. Yeah, yeah, never go. One star on TripAdvisor. Thanks for the views. Okay then, Ian. It's been a summer of highs and lows for the British ski and snowboard athletes. Let's talk about the highs first, Ian. What has happened this summer? Well, I wouldn't say there's been a huge amount of activity. The World Cup circuit is uh, is just starting, but we have had the the Junior uh, World Championships, 
uh, for free skiing, which has just taken place in New Zealand. And uh, the team have done it very well. Great Britain came fourth overall behind uh, Russia, the USA, uh, and Japan. Uh, and in particular, there was a first uh, um, in terms of a, a win in the male ski across for um, Ollie Davis. Uh, Ollie Davis um, is, I'll tell you how old he is, he's 21 years uh, old and uh, he was only uh, seeded sixth after qualifying, but he worked his way through uh, to the final and um, they did pretty well despite a poor starting uh, point to, to finish first overall. So that is a, you know, an extremely good performance and um, it wasn't actually their only uh, medal either uh, because um, Eliane Hall uh, got bronze in the female final uh, as well and she's only 17. So that's another good result. The most impressive though um, I noticed was um, Kirsty Muir who I've not heard of before and probably because she's actually only 14 uh, years old. So she's competing in uh, uh, events against significantly older uh, athletes. She was uh, fourth in the female ski big air and seventh in the uh, slope style. So those are two you know, exceptional results. And she uh, won the, uh, the best under 18 award, unsurprisingly, in the, uh, in the, the big air. She's the youngest competitor in the whole field. So... You know, I would watch out for her at 14 years of age. Kirsty Muir is a, a name for the future. I shall um, follow her on Twitter immediately. And on uh, the other, I don't know, side of the coin, you know, have to uh, note that um, another member of, uh, well, a very talented British young snowboarder, Ellie Souter. Um, she died towards the end of July. She had actually won a bronze medal at the, for Great Britain at the uh, 2017 Youth Olympics. And she carried the British flag at the closing ceremony. Um, she was based in Leger and, and sadly, uh, she uh, committed suicide. Um, it was her 18th birthday. I don't think we really need to say uh, any more about that other than that there is a foundation um, now that her parents have uh, set up, which um, you can find if you if you Google and, you know, really just to um, recommend the services of um, the Samaritans if you ever feel that you're in a position where, you know, you need someone to talk to. They're always there to talk to. So um, our thoughts are with, uh, with her family. And finally, the last part of the show is going to be dedicated to reading. Um, it's storybook corner time. Um, what are we reading this week, Ian? Or this month? What have we read over the summer? Well, I've read all sorts of stuff uh, over the summer. But if you talk about ski uh, books, I think uh, the one that we um, suggested was Ski the World um, by Arnie Wilson. That's right. We'll review that in a minute. But first... Um, I'd like to take you back to a few episodes ago when we did our first book review and we talked about um, one book, Chris, uh, by Crim uh, <laughs> and we talked about one book by Chris Thompson called Skiing with Demons, the Morzine Chalet Project. Um, he's been on the phone to me to chat about our review and give us a few inside tips on Right, that's right. I'm with um, Chris Tomlinson, author of Skiing with Demons and owner or uh, manager or creator of something called the Morzine Chalet Project. We'll find out a little bit about it in a minute. He is here to talk about the book that we reviewed in um, one of our previous podcasts um, and uh, what it's like to be in Morzine. Hi, Chris. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. This is my first, right. first ever podcast. Um, oh, really? That's exciting uh, news. They tell me I have... Uh, a good face for radio. So uh, let's see how it goes. A face for radio. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, first of all, let's go. Um, some people have described your book as being about a middle-aged drunk who hates digital marketing and thinks all women can't ski. Is that a fair review? Well, I sincerely hope not, um, mostly because my mother would kill me. Um, is she a good skier? <laughs> no, she never skied <laughs> at all. But she was, uh, you know, a big feminist in her day. So... Uh, 
you know, the idea that uh, schemagisms is some sort of misogynist work is uh, is upsetting. Um, I think my sister would never speak to me again as well, actually. Um, come to think of it, that's why she's probably been avoiding my calls. But um, yeah, it might be sort of slightly sexist. It's um, the first book. It's um, it's quite a lot of ists, I think. You know, uh, voyeurist, hedonist, jingoist. Yeah. Um, mostly narcissistic, I think, uh, is the conclusion. But uh, you know, I'll I'll take the charges guilty. Um, but I like to think my prejudices in the book are evenly distributed. So uh, I've got chips on both shoulders. Um, yeah. I think that's a fairly good most review. People, most people um, who uh, hold up the sexist card to Skiing with Dean as one haven't actually read the book, like uh, <laughs> your previous review of, of it, which uh, <laughs> my head calls up a bit. You at least had read the book, and I think uh, if you take the reviews as a whole, most people just find it funny. And, uh, you know, I do step on a few toes. But, uh... Hey, but you've got to do that. You, you, yeah. Like I said, like when I reviewed it, I said it was a, a, it was an honest yeah. book. And I think that's what you were. You were honest throughout it. Well, you know, I've, I was born in a time before political correctness, really. And uh, I think, uh, you know, this political correct world, I think uh, the millennials might call me a gammon, sort of a red-faced man who rails against political correctness. And, uh, you know, I'm probably guilty of that, too. So, uh, yeah, in my uh, in my next book, there's a third one coming down the line. I'm trying to use, so uh, I've sort of educated myself. I'm trying to use. Hang on, uh, hang on. Can I just guess the title? <laughs> well, yes, you can. But it's always the subtitle that I struggle with, to be honest. So, I so it's, it's going to be Skiing with Demons 3, right? It is indeed the end of the trilogy, hopefully, um, because it's actually um, sort of going to be about the end of the Shelley project. I've, I've kind of decided to sort of pack it in this. Uh... Well, tell us about that. I saw um, a post from you recently yeah. uh, that said, you know, you're not going to continue this year um, with the Shelley project. Why is that? Well, just after eight seasons, I think basically I've had enough. Uh, it's, uh, it sort of needs to evolve. It's, it's I mean, of... there were points in that book in the first season when it sounded like you'd had enough. Yeah, I mean, every every season I come back and say, that's it, that's it. If I ever talk about going back to Morgan for a, a season and renting another chalet, feel free to punch me in the nose. <laughs> Usually by about September, I start twitching and, you know, all the things that annoy me about living in the UK start to rise again and uh, I find myself booking another chalet. But uh, no, this year uh, I'm sort of going to do some more skiing, I think, rather than uh, cooking eggs. How do you plan on uh, getting more skiing in without living there? Just more um, holidays? Oh, I didn't say I wasn't going to live there. <laughs> ah. So while we've got you on the uh, podcast, um, we like to talk about different ski areas a lot. Let's talk about Morzine, a place where you have spent a huge amount of time. That You say in your book, it chose you, not you chose it. Just uh, that's how it happened. Tell us why it's yeah. such a, an amazing ski area. Yes, well, obviously, I, I think it is. Um, it's large. I mean, we all have our favorite ski resorts don't we uh, i often get involved in what i call uh, games of ski resort top trumps where uh, people say oh i like team because it's high it's snowshore it's got glacier it's ski in ski out you know and, and so we end up measuring these resorts really on you know trying to explain our favorite resorts don't we by objective measures you know altitude being one of them morzine always gets a complaint that it's too low um but uh you know the objective measures of Morzine, the Port Salai is absolutely massive, um, probably the largest. Well, they claim to be the largest ski area in Europe. I know it depends how you measure a piste and all the rest of it. It's up there. It's in the top five. Let's put it in the top yeah, five. Yeah, yeah, top three. Let's go for top three. Come Ooh, on. Top three, <laughs> the three valleys or four valleys, maybe. Um, but certainly, even eight years of skiing there, I still haven't been to some parts of it, certainly off-piste. So... Um, yeah, the skiing is good. Um, I think it's important. People, when we're playing the top trumps, they always look at Morzine uh, and think, you know, well, it's low, it's small, whatever. Um, but actually, it's the Vorhaus we ski mostly. You know, you kind of live, you live in Morzine, which is a real nice, real sort of alpine place. And, uh, you know, we mostly go up the Super Morzine lift to the Vorhaus, to the sort of the, the higher skiing around the Vorhaus. And uh, so, um, yeah. 
and further on to Chatel and all the Swiss things connected to it, which I, it's uh, it's plenty to go at. Yeah. Do you think you're going to have a 60-year-old um, midlife crisis and get back out there? Yes. Well, the second book was about an existential crisis, I think. I've kind of, I kind of decide what the books are about after I've finished them. Um, so we do have threes, don't we? We need a, a third crisis. So I don't know what that's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, on that note, Chris, I'm going to say thank you very much for talking to us. Okay, thank fine. you for coming back. And yeah. um, uh, we've enjoyed it. I've, I'm going to read the other books when I get a chance. I have enjoyed it. I've got um, a massive pile at the moment from the library, but it will be on my list, I okay. promise you. Um, and I will recommend it. It is worth a read, absolutely, despite what Ian Martin <laughs> says. Um, so, Chris, thank you very much. Um, good luck with the third book, and I hope Peter Jackson picks yes. it up and uh, <laughs> turns it into a nice... Oh, well, yes, that'll be good, yeah, for a movie. Yeah, fingers crossed, that'll be cool. All right, yeah, uh, thanks yes. a lot, take care. Bye. And even more excitingly, in a minute, Ian will be talking to um, Jonathan Trigel, author of Sham, um, but before that, let's talk about our actual book that we've all been reading this summer. As Ian said a minute ago, it is Skiing the World. Ian, can you give us a summary of the book? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, Ar Arnie Wilson is, um, I probably wouldn't mind if I called him a veteran uh, writer um, in the UK, ski writer. <laughs> well, he is now. I mean, he probably even was then, to be fair. This book was written in, like, 1992. Uh, ninety. Three, 94 was the year that they uh, he and his girlfriend decided to ski every single day uh, during 1994. Uh, and that's, a, you know, that's an immense challenge. You, there was a lot of planning uh, involved. Um, obviously skied in you know, a bunch of uh, different uh, continents, so, you know, hundreds of different resorts uh, across the board. Uh, he was a Financial Times ski correspondent at the time. They helped, uh, you know, sponsor his uh, trip. I think Snow and Rock were involved in it as well. Uh, and it's an adventure, um, but it's also a kind of uh, it's a it's a love story between him and his uh, girlfriend Lucy Dicker. And you know, it's not a kind of spoiler to say that um, you know it has a, a, a tragic ending. Um, Maybe you should read the book to find out exactly exactly what happened. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Arnie does, you know, give it away pretty much uh, earlier on, but there's a full description of, of that sad day towards the end. Um, I know this is meant to be a review, but I'm kind of finding it hard to review which what, what is essentially someone's final love letter to someone they absolutely adored. Because within the book, there's, you know... There is the details of the travel and the skiing and the arrangements that you would expect from a, an adventure book like this. But also, you know, there are really big explorations into his relationship with with Lucy. There's the arguments that they have, which are eventually resolved by them making love quite frequently throughout the book, which you know, I find quite a fra hard phrase to listen to. I don't know why. I might, it's just because I'm British, isn't it, Ian? Probably, yeah. yeah. Um, what surprised me was the number of bags. 14 bags they took around the world with them. That's mental. I'd only took two to do a ski season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe they, they travelled everywhere. I mean, the organisation, you think this is all, all pre-mobile phones and GPS devices and everything. And, and when you read it, that's one of the things that really you know, comes through. They talk about, you know, fax machines and... Uh, and, uh, you know, this device that they attached to their skis that measured how far they travelled, which was just a kind of a, a sort of counter that turned round attached to the side of the ski. And, yeah, everything seems so, well, so archaic, and it's not really that long ago. No, and they printed off every single letter because they obviously went to something like 240 resorts, and each resort had, you know, sent them a, a confirmation letter to welcome them, or maybe they got a free lift pass. So they printed all that off. So they were, they were literally carrying thousands of bits of paper, including flight receipts and things like that. Whereas, yeah, you're right. I I would just um, get to the check-in desk and go, oh, I better Google um, what my code was to get on this flight. Yeah. Yeah, the organisation required it is phenomenal. Uh, but as you say, it's the, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a love story as well. Could you, could you imagine, you know, like a, you know, I uh, get on very well with my wife, but 
would I cope spending every single day together for a year skiing every single day with the, the weather conditions and all the kit and moving around and doing all of that? It's quite a challenge. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I read it while I was doing those three weeks traveling around the Alps yeah. in a camper van with my family. You know, we had a lot of arguments. Um I was a bit sad that they didn't enjoy skiing in India. It kind of, it was like something they just felt they had to do because I've been to India a few times and I really love the place and it's a, a place I'd love to go and ski. Um, but as I mentioned, it's a right challenge. I think today there's scope to repeat it. You in the end? I'm not sure I have a year spare at the moment. No, me neither. I have trouble, enough trouble get... finding a day at the moment. We could get sponsorship though. I reckon... Snow and Rock could be up for doing it again. Yeah, yeah. Well, in I should be seeing um, Arnie Wilson over the next few weeks, and I'm hoping if I can, um, if I can, just to grab a few words with him about how he, how he feels about uh, about it now. I mean, you know, pretty hard to summarise what that experience is like, but we'll we'll give it a go. But you know, I would highly recommend this book to uh, to to anyone who. You know, enjoy skiing and enjoys adventures. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, the one place I want to go from it is definitely got to be Jackson Hole. I've read a lot about mm. it recently, and that has got to be on my list. Yeah. I'm um, also, there, there was quite a good video um, made last year. It's just a short one, around 11 minutes long. I'll embed it in the uh, in the show notes on the website, skipodcast.com which will give you a bit more of an insight into it as well. Right then, let's, um, Ian was chatting to John Tregill, um, author of Sham. Uh, let's find out what he had to say. Okay, so um, after our, uh, our interesting uh, book group area that we chatted about before, we've, uh, we've been fortunate enough to catch up with uh, a few of the authors. And uh, right now I'm chatting to Jonathan Tregell, author of Sham. Hi, John, how are you going? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Excellent. We're talking to you in Chamonix itself at the moment? Uh, yes, very, very nearby. A, a, small, uh, a small satellite town, we could say. Um, okay, cool. So, so we both, uh, Jim and I both really enjoyed uh, Sham. I wondered, um, you know, in relate, one of the things we discussed was how you know, Sham itself uh, could, could perhaps be you know, looking at that, that sort of darker side of seasons and the fact that some people who are doing seasons maybe are trying to, you know, es- escape uh, reality or not confront reality. I wonder what you, you thought about that kind of idea about seasons. Uh, I, th- I think there's definitely, um, there's definitely a lot of that goes on. Um, I mean, it's obviously um, Sham, short for Shaman, is, is, is a homonym for... Um, sham as in uh, something that's fake um right and i think that yeah there is there's a certain amount of of reinvention that goes on um in ski resorts i mean perhaps perhaps there is in any area where people often will turn up not knowing anyone and they're able to 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 present uh, a face to the world that's the that's the the face they want the world to see um uh, but I think, yeah, there's, there's perhaps something, especially the case in slightly unreal world where you're kind of, I mean, the, the season airs lifestyle, particularly your first few seasons, um, you're kind of working and yet you simultaneously feel like you're on a giant party. Uh, and obviously there's a certain amount of incongruity between um, between those two aspects. Um so yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, that, I think that's the case. Yeah, and and so um, in terms of you know, obviously it's set in a ski resort. I know you know you live near to Chamonix. You 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 based it there. It's a it's a great place. I wonder whether any of the characters in the book were kind of they must have obviously based on your experiences in ski resorts. But were there any are there any characters we that were based on people in particular do you think would you be prepared to reveal that um i would say i mean what you would find is that most of the characters were uh kind of amalgams of types a, a lot of uh, a lot of friends of mine have, have said that they recognize um specific characters and they were like oh is that that person and i'd be like no um but it perhaps has aspects of that person in, or more probably it has aspects of a lot of people who are that kind of type within. Um, 
but there's the only character who is who is genuinely based on on a real person is probably the very last one you would expect because they're like the most far fetched there's a um there's a transvestite in it um who is a a diesel mechanic um a geordie diesel mechanic who um uh it's you know is is um uh kind of a let's not let's say not not the not the most convincing um transvestite but 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 a hugely lovely person um and uh who is who is in in some ways a, a heroine in the plot um who uh yeah that was based on a on a real person who who i right. I, I came across a few times when um i, I was I, I used to ski guide and uh and and um she would often come out and uh and joined my joined my ski guiding right. groups and was uh, yeah it was was it was a great person. Okay, yeah. Well, I don't think many people um, would have would have guessed that uh, for sure. And so, do you think that, it, that you'd ever uh, base another novel in a ski resort again? I know you you know amongst your uh, your novels that you've had published, uh, you know you skipped around different uh, genres and and locations. You know, might we have something about skiing again? I don't know. Um, never say never, but it, it, to me, there has to be something more than just the setting. I mean, I think uh, although Sham was um, was obviously set in Chamonix. A lot of the ideas have been coming to me over over a period of, um, you know, I don't know, five, six, eight years before that, maybe. Um, so I, I kind of, for the moment, I feel like I've said all that I need to say about that area. But yeah. that's not to say that if, you know, if something um, new and engaging in terms of a storyline I think if I was to do it now, I mean, in a lot of ways, I don't really feel like I'm a seasonaire anymore. I, I live in the mountains. That's just where I live. If I think I was to, to set a, um, a a novel in the mountains again, I think it would be much more likely to be about, you know, how the life of the real locals, the French locals who've lived here for generations, about possibly how things have changed for them. I don't, I'm not sure I would set it in, in, in the seasonaire milieu again. Well, that... Uh... I quite like that idea, and I would. Uh, I know there was a, a kind of hint of that, effectively, in in Sham itself. But um, that would be a book uh, that I'd be interested to read. So um, I think we'll wrap up there. It was really good to speak to you, uh, John, and best of luck with your your new novel. And uh, for uh, people who are looking to get hold of uh, Sham, uh, have a quick search Sham by uh, Jonathan Tregell. Um, you can find it online, lots of different places. Thanks a lot, John. Thank you. Thanks very much. Cheers, Ian. Bye. Wow, some interesting insights there, Ian, um, from an author's mind. Definitely makes the book seem a bit more um, intense once again. So many layers, I feel, to this book, considering I dismissed it as some trashy novel to start with. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 I agree. A great one. It would be nice. You know, obviously, he has... He's a, an author who covers a lot of genres, but, uh, yeah, I'd love to read some more uh, ski um, novels by him, but... We'll have to move on to whatever we're going to choose next. Yeah, well, um, let's see if we can get some recommendations. If you're listening to the podcast and we're looking for a book to read, let's send us in a recommendation and we will read it and talk about it on the show. Maybe we can get the author to, to chat to us. Um, like if it was like Five Live or something. Right. <laughs> Ian, can you tell us what is coming up over the next few weeks and months? Well, We'll be looking to do a podcast every two weeks uh, from now on uh, through the winter. Uh, and so over the next couple of weeks, from my point of view, um, I don't think I'm going to the Alps. I am going to the Alps uh, at the end of September to do a, a run in the Jura Mountains, actually. Uh, but prior, mm. prior to that, uh, next week I'm in London, uh, the Where to Ski and Snowboard launch, uh, the uh, book that they don't actually publish anymore quite a good uh, um, social event and a uh, way of meeting a few people for the season. And we've got uh, an event. By so it's a non-book book report yeah, for a book that book they, don't, they don't really rewrite anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, more a social event. And then there's a, um, uh, the following day, uh, a kind of ski lunch for the press and uh, in the evening, something by France Montaigne. So lots of, the, lots of the French resorts will be there talking about what they've got coming up during the season. So hopefully I'll be able to pick up uh, an interview there from, from someone 
Wonderful. Um, obviously, Listex is coming up. I think we're both going to be there. Ian's talking at it um, about that great topic, GDPR again, which has no relevance to anyone listening. Oh, no, I think I was. Um, it's not my not the, not my choice. <laughs> Forced into it. Chinese burns, yeah. and uh, I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah, right. I chose that over. I chose GDPR over Brexit. Whoa, what two massive choices there. Yeah. And the other thing coming up uh, is obviously the ski show, which is um, at half-term week. I know we talk about it a lot, um, but it is an important event on the calendar for us ski and snowboard um, fanatics. Ian, are you looking forward to going? Uh, yeah, I'm always looking forward to uh, to going. I think you might remember we we interviewed uh, Julia Hanan from the ski show a little yeah, while I ago. I do remember it, yeah. yeah. And she tells me, um, hopefully this is an exclusive, that we uh, Sunset Suns are going to be the uh, the big band uh, playing at the show. Have you have you heard of Sunset Suns? You downloaded all their songs. I have um, the whole back catalogue. Um, uh, they played at a concert um, gig near me recently um, called Gold Coast. Um, they headlined that, so yeah, they are a big band. Okay, okay. Well, I don't I really have any of their songs. They're surfer types because they come from Hosiger. Uh, it's a big surf place, and they're British Australian. So um, there you go, Sunset Suns. You heard it here first. They're going to be really looking forward to that. A lot better than previous acts that they had, such as um, the Cuban Brothers. Oh my God, not them which... again. <laughs> Why? They're everywhere. They literally play for free. They're at every festival, at every concert. Yeah. No one has to pay for them. Yeah. So so yeah, oh, I am looking forward to the autumn. Not summer anymore, awesome. and then winter is coming, hashtag. Or is it hashtag winter is coming? Uh, winter is coming, hashtag. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it works. Well done. <laughs> all right, well, thank you very much, Ian. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back in a fortnight's time. Bye.